Recorded live. All right, here we go live. Welcome to T25CL Entertainment, Galaxy Talk Radio. United We Stand is the name of my show, and I am your host, Galaxy Chief Andre Ward. It is currently 10 a.m. here on the West Coast. 62 degrees is the temperature here, 70 in L.A., 90 in Tulsa. Boy, it's a big difference between here and there. 86 in New York, 56 in London, 80 in Lagos, and 68 in Nairobi, Kenya. Okay, let me give a little intro to who we are before we get the show started. T25CL Entertainment is your platform for digital entertainment. Please listen to our 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week radio show featuring jazz, R&B, blues, hip-hop, and gospel music, and spoken word as well. Check out our many artists here at T25CL Entertainment. We have CDs available for digital download to your listening devices. We have five radio talk shows on Monday night. We have Compton Politics with Lorenzo Elvis Murphy coming from L.A. Tuesday night, also coming from L.A., we have Straight Talk with the Hired Brush featuring Barbara McGee and Rodney Best. And on Wednesdays, also coming from L.A., we have the songstress herself, Rosalind Jordan Mills in Rosalind's Corner. And on Thursdays, we have Soul Vibrations with Corey Jeffries and Dr. Nina Kwaku. And on Saturdays, here we are right now, live in person with United We Stand. And as you know, my, the name of my show is United We Stand. It was named after our film, United We Stand. And... With United We Stand, the movie, we were bringing attention to the world with poverty, hunger, unemployment, and issues that pertain to Africa and the United Nations with their platform for 2030 with the strategic development goals to get a billion people off of poverty. And they asked us to be a part of that. And that's where our film, when our film came out, we got all of our artists together to Warner Grand Theater and created the film United We Stand. And it was a great musical performance. And accordingly, I named this show after the movie and so that we can bring attention to some of our domestic issues as well here in the United States. You know, our spending capacity here in the United States alone would be equivalent to the seventh greatest economy in the world. And the problem is the circulation of our wealth in our communities and with other black-owned businesses here in the U.S. When dollars are not circulated in the community, we have business failures and massive unemployment as we do today. This brings us to the heart of our conversation today and our special guest, Jean Marie Neal from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ms. Neal is Program Development Event Manager at the John Hope Franklin Center for Reconciliation in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I met her about two weeks ago when I was at our family reunion, and she gave one great lecture on the history of what happened there in 1921 with uh, Black Wall Street. Our family toured the museum, and I encourage everyone visiting Tulsa and that surrounding area to go to the campus there at OSU, introduce yourself, and definitely walk around um, the museum and see history of what has happened. 
And so before I bring her on, uh, we have been discussing this issue and what I call black-on-black corporate crime. And this is one of the reasons why I started this show after we did the introduction of United We Stand with some of our associates over in Kenya. Black-on-black corporate crime is, is when we today in 2017 lack the capacity to buy, sell, and trade in our communities and black-owned businesses throughout this country. As we have discussed, we had better unity as a people during slavery and post-slavery leading up to Black Wall Street, the Harlem Renaissance, and the other smaller black economies throughout this country. But something has happened since the 1980s, and we lost that desired commitment to work collectively with one another. And so I want to bring on uh, our sister. Let me introduce her a little bit. And uh, this sister really is super talented. You know, we have a lot of talented guests coming on our shows, but this sister is, she is tough. She's got it down. Let, let me introduce my guest today. Not only is she the program development event manager for the John Holt Franklin Center for Reconciliation, she has produced and directed numerous plays. She is co-director of the Sun Cast Readers Theater Group. She has been an advisor and writer for Tulsa Community College in the development of the play uh, Forgotten Glory, recounting the history of uh, Green, the Greenwood area there in Tulsa, and recounting the memories of the 1921 race riot. She also overlooked reconstruction of Greenwood, and she is also a minister. Brothers and sisters, without further ado, let me bring on my guest today, Miss Jean Marie Neal. How are you doing, my sister? I am blessed, and how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And it's great to talk to you again. And like I said, we just met two weeks ago, but and when I met you at the end of your lecture, I said I must have you on my show when I get back home. And so here we are. But let me say this first. I know everybody wants to talk about 1921, and I know they want to hear you talk about that. But since we are an entertainment-based company, let's talk a little bit about you and your history and your experience in the entertainment world and the things that you've done in the entertainment industry, and then we'll get into 1921. Go ahead. Well, basically, I am a pastor as well as a writer. I love music of all types because I've realized over the years that music is the key to keep society going. It is the one um, way that everyone can communicate is through music and the arts. We just completed at the John Hope Franklin Center our symposium, and it was titled Reconciliation Through the Lens of Art and Culture. And to bring the different artists in together, it was just amazing because it, was, it reached everyone, not just the African Americans or the Native Americans, but it touched everyone because there was a piece of music or art or a film or something there for everyone. And to see the reaction of the generation that we deal with so heavily here is our young generations because we are losing them at an astronomical rate here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
for them to be able to be a part of it and understand the history of Tulsa and the history of African American people as a whole is just was overwhelming for me. Uh, did quite a bit of directing and writing. I love working mm-hmm. with the Tulsa Library because it gives us those the funds that we need to put on plays that make a difference in the lives of our young people. Yes. And let me do this, too, because I have a panel here, and I know everybody wants to ask you questions as well. So let me introduce my um, my panel. Uh, we have uh, Barbara McGee from Straight Talk with the Hired Brush. Barbara, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Welcome, everyone. All right. And also have Rodney Best from Straight Talk with the Hired Brush. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Hello. All right. And I have Kimba, the actress from T25CO Entertainment. Greetings, everyone. All right, and we have the great Dr. Ninana Kwaku from our Thursday night show, Soul Vibrations. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll have like a panel, and uh, we'll have anybody who wants to ask a question, we can chime in at any time. And something you just said in your opening there about music being a common language that's one of the things we have around here as well. You know, music is a universal language. And I was reading uh, an article on music one day, and the one thing about music, when you write music, music is a common language. I don't care if you speak English, Chinese, American, German, French. It's a universal language, so every musician can understand what is written. So that's one of the beautiful things about music as well. Okay, and I also mentioned, too, about the 1921 riots and the things that happened there. And, uh, Gene, we often speak on uh, our issues here on all of our talk shows, and the the hot topic that I have been on for the past several weeks is black-on-black crime. And corporate crime, I should say. We're not talking about the drive-by shootings and the dope dealing and all of that stuff. We're talking about our ability to buy, sell, and trade amongst one another and keeping our businesses strong with the $1.8 trillion spending capacity that we have on an annual basis in this country. Maybe less than 2% of that is retained in our communities and our economies. And it's just getting to be a shame because uh, Kimber and I, we went to uh, 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 a meeting yesterday and we were riding around downtown Oakland and we were seeing all of these people living in tents um, under freeways. And it's just disgusting because the politicians put out there that this is the greatest country in the world, this is the richest country in the world, and here it is, we have people living under freeways and sleeping in tents and living in filth, and Channel 2 last night did a special on this. And so these sort of things have to be cured, and some things we have to take in, in hand ourselves and do it ourselves. And it seems as though during slavery and post-slavery, 
it seems as though our people had more of a unity base than we did now. And we didn't have any problems with buying, selling, and trading amongst one another. And later on in the 1980s, it seems as though we lost that. And now as we get to 1921 with, I don't like using the word riots, and, and can you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong in my opinion, because I look at riots as when in our communities when we rise up and start burning our own stuff down. But our people came under attack in 1921, and we were defending ourselves. And so I don't think that the word riot fits in well with 1921. Am I off base with my opinion? No, you're not. Okay. It's often referred to in Tulsa as a genocide or a massacre uh, or, because that's what it was. It just yeah. said just a few minutes ago that to me a riot is when the Rodney King thing there in L.A. You know where people yeah. started to burn and and tear their own buildings and things up, and that's something I have never understood. But in Tulsa, mm-hmm. the white race invaded a prosperous African American community, burned it to the ground, took its people captive placed them in internment camps and began the process of retrieving all the goods that they had. There's pictures where people are putting, placing pianos on the back of trucks and the ladies have shopping bags. I mean, they actually went shopping on Greenwood prior to burning it to the ground. Uh, That is not a race riot. We had people mm-hmm. standing on top of Standpipe Hill shooting Gatlin guns down at innocent men, women, and children. That is not a race riot. If your skin was black, it didn't matter if you were a millionaire or a person of low means. It was, you were all the same and treated the same unjustly. So race riot is not a word that even begins to identify the 1921 Tulsa race riot. Okay. Oh, I have one more. For some reason, uh, we had a problem here with the station, and we have now Rosalind Jordan Mills is on the line, too. Rosalind is my business partner in Southern California. She is also the star of United We Stand, and she has her show on uh, Wednesday evening at Rosalind's Corner. Are you there, my sister? I'm here, so I'm just listening. Go ahead on. Okay. 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 Let's carry forward. Okay. Gene, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah, because when I saw a riot in the in the write up, um, I just kind of disagreed with it because riot is, is like you said, it's, it's something that we just don't understand why we want to burn, loot, and destroy in our own communities. But this was just like you said, genocide. And the way you explained it a couple of weeks ago, how 10,000 people massed together in that short period of time without cell phones, telephones, or fax machines was quite, in, quite incredulous in itself and how they all came together that quickly. Um, Andre? Yes. Yes. I, I, yeah, this is Barbara. 
Uh, hello and welcome. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, uh, I am Creek Nation, and uh, being of Creek Nation, uh, it's very interesting to understand really what the dynamic was in the Oklahoma Territory. And if we go back in history, what was really the draw to bring so many people of color to that area? And actually, if we go back maybe 35 years, uh, we do see the Trail of Tears. We do see the Five Tribe Council, which is Choctaw, Seminole, the Black Seminoles. We do see uh, the uh, uh, Cherokee, the Creek, and and the uh, Chickasaw, which all settled and were given Oklahoma Territory. And so they brought, and they had uh, slaves also, uh, they brought their slaves, and they and then there was a roll call, and that was in about 1906. Uh, um, think about how what Oklahoma looked like. It wasn't a state. It was a place where you could start over. It was a place where there was an enormous amount of wealth. The wealth came from the monies and the land that was given, these allotments that were given to the five tribes. And so uh, in that, the Native Americans who survived this walk of tears literally refused to sell to whites. They only traded with blacks. And that's how the Tulsa and all these cities, there were 50, some 50 black cities in, in um, this area. Oklahoma. Uh, that yes. In Tulsa that were down, I mean, I could go on from Boley to... To, to, I, I mean, I, I know the list, uh, don't have time for it, but there were all these black towns that were there. And uh, being that we have Tulsa at, as the hub uh, of where people were educated, remember, the Native Americans were educated in the ways of the whites. So we nobody was uneducated. So when they came and reestablished this area, I mean, let's just think about it. Who was the U.S. Marshal? He was black, <laughs> you know, because who else could you send to this area to negotiate and to keep law and to keep an understanding of what was going on except for us? Now, the interesting thing about this is it was also opened up to whites to go there to settle. When whites came, they had nothing. So this is what bred the jealousy and what also bred the uh, KKK, because that's where it was established. Well, let me ask you this. Were Indians involved in, in the 1921 massacre? Did they suffer at all, or did only black people suffer? This was um, well, blacks. That was only black. Well, we have because to understand the, uh, who is the, black. Well, you, of course, you had those, as you just stated earlier, you had the African-Americans that came with the fight on the Trail of Tears. We had that. Some of them, as you said, were slaves. Some of them were, were free uh, African-Americans as well. And then when you get, when they got to Tulsa, of course, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you have to look at the fact that they were spoken, let me see how I want to say it. When they came, it was like a punishment for them for fighting with the Confederate Army. That's why whites were even able to get the land. The 1989 land run is what allowed whites into Oklahoma. And that was a punishment too for the Native Americans as their, for their part in the Civil War. 
that's how the whites got there because prior to that, as she just stated, whites did not own any land in Oklahoma. Right. And African Americans were there previous to the Trail of Tears. There are records where they were there early in the 1800s. So there were, were, were black people in Oklahoma. There were Indians in Oklahoma. There were no whites. They weren't allowed in until 1989. part of that takeover was the oil. Tulsa became the oil capital of the world. Everywhere they touched oil came up out of the ground. People migrated to Tulsa for those jobs. A lot of whites, a lot of blacks, they migrated to Tulsa for those oil jobs. But you have more people than you had jobs and homes and food. You have a prosperous African-American community where everything on Greenwood was owned by blacks. The dollar stayed in the community because we had, of course, the Jim Crow laws. The very first law that went on the book in Oklahoma was the Jim Crow law in 1907, the very first law. The dollar and what did those, those laws say in 1907? The what, law what, what, is the Jim Crow law. It's the law of separation. And when we're teaching the kids, we have our, our pictures there that show white fountains and, and colored fountains so that they can understand what the difference really was. White restaurants and African-American restaurants, they could not go into a white restaurant and have lunch. They couldn't do that. They split the schools up because prior to the 1907 and the Jim Crow laws, the whites, Native Americans, and the blacks went to school together prior to that law going on the book. So you're saying that there was integration prior to the Jim Crow laws? Yes, oh, yeah. sir. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But, but, but understand what the, inter- what the integration looked like. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about this is my, parent, my, my mother, on my mother's side, my mother mm-hmm. lived on Greenwood. She was born in 1921. Can you imagine that my grandmother and my grandfather survived that with their house intact and their piano. Very, very interesting. So we have a story about exactly what it took to survive, what happened with them, and what happened moving forward, how they had to move their house three blocks down and all this kind of thing. But the Is that the Maggie thing, house? Uh, well, I don't know what house it is now. But, uh, yes, they were on Greenwood uh, during this time, and they had to move on uh, from there. And that was one of the reasons this level of fear that was remembered by African Americans and by Native Americans that caused uh, this mass exodus to the West Coast and to other parts because, you know, the the KKK put a great uh, hurt they say it was some 10,000 buildings 
that were destroyed during this. Can you speak to the level of destruction? Because I think people don't really understand our history in regards to the um, the amount of buildings and infrastructure that was destroyed. There were 40 square blocks, or we'll say 40 acres. Mr. O.W. Gurley purchased 40 acres when he came to Tulsa. He's an African-American. He is the founder, founder of, the, of Black Wall Street. Those plots were only available for African-Americans to buy. So as they bought their land, they built their greenwood. We're, anything that you could possibly want on greenwood was there. If you wanted uh, shoe shops, hotels, doctor's offices, I could just go on and on and on with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had, uh, well, I'm looking at some of the buildings now. How were these built? How were these businesses capitalized? Where did the black people get the monies to start these businesses? Well, you know, they were working people as well. You had some people that came, like the Smithermans, the Staffords, the Williams, and the Mann. They came to Tulsa. They had funds with them. They came to Tulsa because of the prosperity that was there on Greenwood. They came for that purpose, and in that. They were able to build because, as we someone stated earlier, that dollar stayed in the community. You had African-American women and African-American men who were working in the white areas where all the rich oil people were, and they were bringing their dollars back into Greenwood, as well as having the white dollars that came over to Greenwood to eat in the restaurants, to purchase things in the stores as well, doctor's offices, furniture offices. Okay, so the white the white folks had no problems in going into Greenwood and buying black businesses. No. And it's an area of class that was on Greenwood as well. Mr. Smitherman's hotel was so awesome. He wanted it duplicated. It was one of the most finest hotels in the United States. The only way that you could come in as a couple, you had to present your marriage license to even come in his hotel. It was just set up stage. For him and all, a lot of the great musicians and stuff played in the uh, ballrooms and stuff there on Greenwood. Over so, 600. So, so, one, so, so one thing that one thing that was established when I was growing up as a child in the in Virginia on the East Coast was mm-hmm. before before this whole thing of integration and in, 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 in racism came visible and taught in America, it was just about people doing what they had skills and wanted to do. And, and, you know, in listening to how and what happens during this time in history, it's, it's almost like it's being hidden from us because when we struggle to get history equality in the current school system where racism, integration, and, and separation, it seemed to be a negative thing, you know, we, we don't really understand how it actually got off the ground. You know, it, it's very enlightening to me, Barbara is saying, hey, you know, the Ku Klux Klan started in Oklahoma. And, and then... Um, well, I know they played a significant part it, here. They were in the... Yeah, the government Neal, of Oklahoma she, was the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, Miss Neal hmm. is saying, hey, you know, prior to this, 
There wasn't any that we were in school together. We were doing things together. And 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 I recall that in Virginia when I was a little kid. I mean, you know, I was, we were in Catholic school together, but when I moved up north at seven years of age, heck, me, my brother, my sister was the only black kids in a white Catholic school up in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So it, 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 there's something that they pulled out of the history. I don't know who they are that pulled this out, but it seems like they plugged a hole that was leaking concrete information to save the children today. Now, my question is, how do we, Miss Neal, how do we get that back? What do you think we have to do to get that back? The first thing that we must do is learn how to trust one another. One of the largest problems that I see, even in our community, is an African American, an African American community, where there's no trust within the community. And if you can't trust yourselves, how are you going to trust someone else to come in and work together? We've got to understand who we are and who – because our young people here, some of them, they don't expect to live past 21 years old, and they will tell you, I'm not going to live anyway. And that's just so heartbreaking. Yes. But they don't understand who they are and all they have and that they have an assignment to deposit in this earth. They don't understand that. And until we can get them educated about their past so they won't repeat it. Here in Tulsa, with all the murders we've had in the last six months where police officers have killed our African-American kids, and, and Tulsa did not blow up. And everyone around the nation was wondering, why aren't they rioting in the streets? Because yeah, when you scream and holler, when you start screaming and screaming, people don't hear you. They cut yeah. you off. If you can maintain a decent level of conversation, then you can get through to the other people. And it took a lot to keep Tulsa quiet. The Reconciliation Park that we have here is a space to embrace. It was a, it is the actual memorial for the 1921 Tulsa race riot, where we mm-hmm. educate young students from around the world about the 1921 race riot. It's, it's an, and I want to put this out there. If you want to take a virtual tour of the space to embrace of the John Hope Franklin Reconciliation Park, you can Google it, John Hope Franklin Reconciliation Park, and take a virtual tour of what we have been able to build to start bringing our communities together. Yeah. The, the, revo- the revolution will not be celebrated. One of the before we move away, I, uh, I asked a, a group of uh, kids that are middle school, getting ready to go to high school, I said, what do you think elders can do to make a change? They said, the elders can help us vote everybody that's in office today, vote them out. They said, because if you look at what's going on, these people haven't really done anything to change. They said we need to vote and change the entire leadership. They wasn't talking the executive branch. They were talking all the way down to the local levels. How do you feel, have Tulsa, in view of the fact that what's going on out there is it's visible within the community, because it's very hard to say the African-American <laughs> community in California anymore, 
do, do have have anyone decided or have there been any conversation about changing the leadership? We have I can say we have changed the guard in Tulsa. For the first time in history we have a very young uh mayor who is very energetic about things changing in the African-American community. He has surrounded himself with three of the most outstanding young African-American people. That's something that has never happened in Tulsa as long as Tulsa has been Tulsa. And he is making some changes and making a difference. So I can say that. And he's been in office six months. I have a question, too. How come with black folks, we always have to go to the voting booths to make change, but anybody else, they do it with economics, they do it quietly, they do it with unity, but we have to go to the voting booth. But for a quick second, this is T25CL Entertainment, Galaxy Talk Radio, United We Stand, and I am Galaxy Chief. And hold on a second, we have a caller coming in from New Jersey, and we're going to get to Dr. Kwaku, we're going to get to Sister Rosalind, we're going to get to Sister Kimba, but let's get to our caller from uh, New Jersey. He's been waiting for a while. Caller from New Jersey. Where are you calling from in New Jersey? And state your name, please. Hello, my name is Daryl Thornton. <clears throat> yes, sir. I am, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I was uh, actually invited by a uh, very good friend of mine, Rodney Best. Um, my question is, uh, how do we motivate our young black people to stop killing each other? That's my question. We have to be that, willing to get out. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, is that the gene? Or the gene? Was it two? <clears throat> okay, go ahead, Gene. You answer it. We have to be willing to get out there with them. First of all, you can't. We can't be afraid of our children. We have to be willing to get out there with them and give them the necessary information that they need to make an intelligent decision. We we have to come up with ideas that they can relate to so that we can get the message through to them that they're worth something. And until we can get that through, I'm worth something, and they realize, hey, you know, I'm worth something. Mm-hmm. I have a reason to be here. They're going to continue to do what they do because that's what they think they know. Well, you know, I, I, I concur with you. I concur with you almost 75% of that. However, I do feel that not only is there a re-education call for some, there's a re-education call for most because you can't take a child who's never understood the economic executive development of anything and tell them you got to survive. And until well, let me we start, that. Let, let me, you let, have let, to let show them. Until we start taking the parent and have them hold hands with the child as we teach them not about investing into this and investing in that, Start teaching them how to own businesses again. You see, there's a there's there's five generations that was given funding from a country and said, "Hey, you don't have to go to work. You don't have to do anything. All I want you to do is to get this money." And every time they got that money, 
You see, the kids were shown they had money. So, Daryl, in answer to your question, mm-hmm. we have to take the hands of the parents and the parents and walk them back down the aisle with that child to get an understanding of executive management. So, like Andre said, we can change and show how we begin to change the economic structure. That's you know, it's very it's very interesting, Rodney, and I I, I agree with you on that. Um, as as Rodney knows, I've uh, I've worked for the Bergen County Court System for the past well for 15 years. I'm now a director of social services, um, and and uh, for for the past 15 years, a total of over 40 years experience. And uh, while working for the Bergen County Court System, I have facilitated peer interaction groups with juveniles between the ages of 13 and 18. But the reason I really agree with Rodney is that at the same time, we also facilitated groups with the parents. Now, I have found through my experience that while working with the parents and working with the, um, with the juveniles separately and then bringing them together, it has made a great difference because you do show them their worth. Once you show an individual, especially a juvenile between those ages, and as Rowdy and I spoke about earlier, especially between the ages of 13 and 16, and you show them their worth, they will, uh, uh, the, the signatures are greater that they will uh, go on, uh, be directed down the right path. But the reason I say that, the reason I brought that initial question up is, is that this uh, recently, I have found that uh, the, the, the individuals in question are not even listening now to their parents regardless of them, of you showing them their work. That's right. Thank you. So so many kids have got missing parents. There are no parents. They've become the parent. They have become the parent. Uh I worked with juveniles for 19 years. I worked with juveniles for 19 years at the Lord Raiders Center here in Tulsa. And I'm telling you, the parents, the kids have become the parents. I the agree. kids are teaching the parents versus the parents teaching the children. And that yeah. is coming back when you schematically, because when you go back, you've got a 13-year-old trying to teach a 13-year-old how to do something. And when you don't mm-hmm. even only be the best parent that you've been taught or shown to be. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great lead-in for Dr. Koi, too. Dr. Kweku, is is this issue, is this more of a mental Thank issue you. or is this a financial issue? Or is it a combination of the two? I would probably say it's a combination of the two, but I would say it would lean more toward the psychological, mental issue, you know. And and going back, if we go back a few thousand years, let's go back to ancient Kemet when the so-called uh, Moses was supposed to be taking his people out of there because they were so abused and so forth. And first, I mean, that's a mythological story. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years or whatever. And the reason they did that was because the older generation would not let go of the old ways that brought them into the difficulty that they were suffering under. So what we have here is, is a, is a classic, classic case. It isn't politics. None of those things make uh, really make any difference because these people control all of the finances. Most of the finances. So, therefore, they control the movement. They control what's bought and sold. They control the markets from, by which people have to work and earn money to bring back to the community. So, unless we're talking about, you know, 
getting uncomfortable. You know, we have to take risks, and that means we have to step outside of the current uh, political scenarios that are in place because these people have shown and demonstrated for hundreds of years now that they're incapable of bringing true uh, justice to all of its people. So that means that we may have to come together, re-educate ourselves. Uh, I think a brother, a brother Umar Johnson, who is a school psychologist who is trying to start the school up there in the outside of D.C. for black boys, we're going to, have to go back to the drawing board. We're going to have to go back to who, and find out who we really are. You know, we cannot find these things out by going to their schools, to their systems, and, and you know, there's never been in the history of the world, there's never been where the people that was in power were going to educate you or lift you up to be equal to them so that you could take over. So that means that we have to do it ourselves. That means right. we, have, we have to come outside of those comfort zones. We, you know, uh, you know I know we go to work and we, we do all these great things and stuff. <laughs> The reality of it is that you have no power. And they have demonstrated that even if you have money, you still have no power because they collectively they control what ninety some percent of the wealth of the entire planet. Mm. So we the only way we fight through that is we have to come out of that. We have to abstain from that. We have to change the way we think. The only way we can change what we think is to change the way we educate it. We have to change what we believe. We've been given religions. I don't care whether it's Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, or whatever it is, Catholicism, all of these things have never been beneficial to us. The only thing they've ever done was enslaved us or conditioned us to, to respond to what they were doing to us in a certain way. It is hmm. now time for us to come together and, and, and get out of that comfort zone. You know, a young man came to me the other day, and he was telling me, he was on this job, and this and this white woman treated him like he was trash. Now, he was a supervisor, but she was an upper manager, and he didn't know what to do. And I told him, I said, look, I said, first of all, you should have documented that. But second, <clears throat> you should have let her know right away that you were not to be dis disrespected. But because he was so afraid of losing this job, I said, you're 26 years old. You can get another job. Amen. You do not allow people to disrespect you, irregardless of the circumstances uh, in terms of economics. Because the, rea the reality of it is, the only way you're going to get those things is you have to demand them. You, mm -hmm. have to make, you, you can't sit back and think that uh, somehow the politicians have shown us that they are incapable of making any real changes. Because what happens to them is they get indoctrinated to traditional uh, a political scenarios. You know, yeah. you look at all people, they start out and they say, well, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to help the people. And they get in there and you find that we are getting the same responses from these people. You have one or two or three people who, who speak up for us, but the masses of them do exactly what the system has trained and taught them to do in order for them to maintain their comfort zone. So, Unless we're willing to take that risk and step outside of that, a uh, hundred years from that today, we'll still be here on T25CL Entertainment talking about what <laughs> we need to do. 
I think we need to do that.
So now yeah. we've got to be willing to pick it up and then go forward with it and show them that this is how it is done. We've got young people in Tulsa that have no idea. Martin Luther King, what did he do? He didn't do nothing for me. And when you hear a young person say something like that, vote for what? It don't make a difference. Yeah. We yeah. are responsible to educate them. You gotta show you got to show especially with these youngsters, you got to show them some instantaneous response. It's like cooking one minute oatmeal, one minute cream of wheat versus using the five-minute version of the oatmeal. you got to be able to show them something instantaneously these days in order to get their attention or else they're going to go back and do right. and make the quick money. They can go out there on that street corner and sell a bag of weed for, what, 20 bucks and, and make a, what, $10 or dollar profit or so off of that. They can see that. And so we have to get past the rhetoric. And, and with a positive example, we got to show the positivity in ourselves. And I have to promote ourselves, T25CL Entertainment, right here at www.t25cl.com. And we have to show show it through here, right here. I mean, I hear people like Dr. Dyson and everybody else, when they get on the television, they're talking about 444 and, and Jay-Z song and promoting Jay-Z, but I don't hear Eric Dyson and every and, and and other sister Karen Hunter talking about Rosalind and and Charles Small and the rest of our artists and and so brothers and sisters this is why we got to push it right here at home and when we start getting out there but they'll know that we're doing something by the results that that we deliver upon. Okay, we got some more more yeah. people calling in uh, here want to talk to our good I'm sister. Right. I, yes. I'm right. Uh, you yeah. see, everybody, this is Barbara. I just wanted to quickly uh, just tell you, I'm looking at a map right now. This is the map of black townships in Oklahoma. There's about 35 <coughs> black towns from Redford to Boley mm -hmm. to Grayson mm -hmm. to Huttonville to Louisville to Melvin, mm -hmm. Gibson Station, Tallahassee, uh, Wilson's Colony, Liberty, Langston, Douglas, I, I'm calling these towns out because understand that when, uh, in 1935, when the water, when, when they had that dust bowl, my daddy said that everybody, all the blacks had money. The whites were starving to death. That's he right. Said, he said that when the dust bowl came through, the whites got welfare agricultural money and the blacks got their their townships flooded by Lake Ufala and some of the other reservoirs that were created to give them water. So when we talk about our history, that is what the most important thing is, and I'm just going to be quick. You know, why don't we try micro-lending? Instead of, you know, just recently I went to a black-owned bank and they told me, well, we only give loans for single-family dwellings. Why don't, we, why don't we come together and I loan you 50, you loan someone else 50, we get in a consortium, we learn a trade, a craft, and teach these young people something, and then we finance ourselves. We're going to have to do that just like the women did in India in order for us to mm -hmm. give up, get off the ground. Because guess what? We can't even go to our own institutions and get business loans. It's all right because we have lost, in 2013, we have lost over 70% of African-American wealth. 
because we've lost home ownership. So unless we decide to do business for ourselves, we're not going to have an opportunity to be the players in this new economic system. Okay. That's my thought. Exactly. All right. Cool. And the only problem with that, Barbara, too, is is if we start being successful with lending and re-lending and lending again, then they start seeing success. When I say they, I'm talking about the outside world. They'll come in and shut us down right away and say, where is your certification to be a certified lender and all of that kind of crap. And, and that's the way they'll hit you once you start seeing success. So you can start doing it like that on the underground level to get it to going. But once it starts working, you've got to make sure you protect yourself legally because now, damn, them Negroes can figure something out how to get over and make some money without having to come to our job. And next thing you know, we're going to start losing our slaves. So we got to find something in there, what they're doing, so we can shut it down. And so well, they'll try to penetrate you through well, that well, system. Well, you know what Barbara just said. What Barbara just said is is is, is not unforeseen in, in in right now in America because see, from after after the um, after the the, the 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 fall of the economy in 1929, they put these interstate banking law protections in. <clears throat> Those interstate banking laws have relaxed. Now 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 people in California. You all remember what they call first interstate banking that went up down in Southern California, but it's no longer there today. It's owned by another bank. So that's my that's my thing to the black banks. And I, when I say black bank, I mean black bank owned by black people. Why you do not cross these lines the way these other banks are crossing them? We we you're automatically protected now because the interstate banking laws are down. So you can bank anywhere in the United States of America. So why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing that? Rodney, I just like to say this. I don't know how many of you remember but there the Freedom National Bank that was in Oakland. <clears throat> yep. It, it went out of business. You know why it went out of business? Mm-hmm. Because I, we did not participate. Yeah. We did not, as a people, participate. So, you know, uh, I think we need to go further than that. We we have to stop looking at the United States as as as, as a stop. <clears throat> we need to take our plight to whatever bodies in the world that exist. We need to go to the United Nations, which Malcolm was about to do when they uh, yes. when they killed him. We need to stop thinking that we have to apply for a certification or a license from these people. We can get certified and licensed from other bodies that exist in the world. We need to start thinking globally, globally, yeah. globally. Until we do mm-hmm. that, we're going to still be confined in the walls of the United States of America. All right. Let's go to Lady Rose next. Lady Rose, do you have a question for, for our, our dear guest, Sister Jean? Uh, you know, tonight, this morning has been phenomenal. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Yes, yes. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to welcome uh, uh, Pastor Gene and, um, of course, everyone that's on this panel. Um, the information is so much information that needs to be shared with all our people. Um, when you think about the history and talking about the KKK, you know, how they... They was formed back in uh, 
1866 in Tennessee. The very first mm-hmm. one, the Tennessee, uh, with this gentleman named Nathan Bedford Spark. He was the first grand wizard, okay? Um, a part of the uh, Reconstruction period then. And it was part of the Republican Party in Congress. But when you bring it forward and all the things that's been taking place within our history, uh, there was one thing that Brother Darrell had brought up uh, when we talk about um, teaching our young people today. Uh, we're living in a microwave society, microwave society. That's right. <laughs> uh, like Pastor Gene said, I remember back in the day, uh, your teachers would let you whip your butt, then you go home and your mom and daddy would whip your butt for doing something wrong with school. Uh, today, like she said, little Jimmy, you got to go to the corner, take a 10-minute break. So you go go to the corner, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you hit your child and, and you go to jail for a child abuse. So much has changed with our society. And you think about, and the question keeps coming up, what can we do? It's plain and simple. That question keeps coming up. What can we do? The answers are coming forth. Of course, the answers are coming forth. But like we all say, we all say until we all, and it might be a cliche, until we all come together, okay, um, um, we're not going to see that change. There was a song back in the day, I know you you guys remember, smiling faces sometimes pretend to be your Mm. friends. (laughs) (laughs) Smiling faces tell lies. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. As we as people, we are facing that every day. Amen. Every day. <clears throat> and until we come together, hello, that 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 cliche. Until we come together, you know, we need to have another. We need to have another Black Wall Street, like Brother uh, Dr. Quaker was saying. Hey, we need to look outside these borders because mm-hmm. the ability is there globally. T two five CL is global. We are a global company. We're not just here in the United States. We are global. <clears throat> and when we get the news out there, we get more people, you know, like our panel is all our panel. Boy, I mean, a Saturday morning must be a great day for us because everybody's <laughs> on it. Okay? So that's, that's what I'm talking about. Get that email. Saturday, everybody's ready to talk. Okay? It's great. So, yeah. You know what? If this is what it takes, if this is what it takes, then this is what we need. And make sure you take this recording and spread it out. Send it out, you know, because we need more information. We need more people like us, our Pastor Gene and other individuals, Dr. Kwaku and Daryl and, and uh, Rodney and my sister Barbara, you know, and of course Chief and all those who are on this panel to get the word out. I know the word is being out, sending out there, but is it like, is it, is it just hitting the ceiling or is mm-hmm. it going to the galaxy? Mm-hmm. We got to show, we got to show some results. And that's why we got to keep something, doing something new every day. We got to put new artists up on our website. I don't care if you have a book, if you have a CD, if you have a film, if you got a talk show, if you just want to do a blog and say, hey, I'm listening to you. It even helps us out when you listen to our 24-7 music station. Just have it on when you're sitting there at your desk or when you're at home. We get a few little pennies from advertisers every time you listen to music on T25CO Radio. So this is how you can support us. 
And guess what? When you support us, when you download our music and, and, and rent our films and stuff, it helps us to build so that, hey, we want to hire people. We want more facilities. We want new equipment. We want all this stuff. But we've got to have the support of people. And how do you think a company like Facebook, who don't produce a dadgum thing, they don't bake no cupcakes, they don't sell no cars, they don't sell no suits, they ain't building no houses, but here it is, they worth a hundred billion damn dollars around here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we pro- we producing things, we're not worth a hundred billion dollars, but they worth a hundred billion dollars. How come? Because they got about eight billion or five or six billion people just throwing up crap on there every damn day. So the advertisers are saying, oh, crap, they got four billion people. Uh, they're hitting it every day. Okay, let me throw up my Chevrolet ad. Let me throw up my Ford ad. Let me throw up this ad. Here, take $100 million, take $50 million, take $200 million, only because you got people going to it. And the way that advertising game works, if, uh, if uh, 100 million people are going to Facebook today, if they get 1%, 2% return buying a car or a coat or something like that, they have gotten over it. Okay, two other callers calling in. Let's get both of them. And then the, the, the big question I want to ask uh, Sister Jean, like I said, she gave a very eloquent display of what happened in 1921. And in our second hour, I want her to tell, tell everybody what happened that day. We all know about the, the lynchings and the burnings and the shootings and the killings, but what led to that? Let's go to our caller in New York. State your name and where are you calling from in New York? Oh, hi, it's Lisa. Hi, everyone. Hey, Sister Lisa, Hello. how are you today? Hello, Lisa. I'm, I'm good. Hola. Actually, very good panel. I uh, happened to tune in a little bit late, but <clears throat> I did hear uh, Pastor's story. I heard Barbara's story and Roz, and I think they're all very interesting. Um, the theme that I'm hearing is that, you know, it seems like when we do build up, um, there's always somewhere, some way, by design, someone trying to attack our effort. And, you know, I thought it was uh, something to point out when uh, Rosalind said uh, KK started in 1866. You know, I think a lot of these things are always a reaction to the effort of black people. You know, 1865, I guess they considered us free. That group of people didn't like it too much, so they developed the KKK. It's like that on many levels you know, throughout the world. It's always a reaction to uh, black folks' upward mobility. You know, then these groups and these people start popping up and trying to hinder the efforts. But I always find it refreshing to hear to Dr. Kwaku because I really, really think that he has a recipe for what it's going to take to get us as a people out of the condition we're in and into a better, better place. You know, we have to unlearn a lot of things. And we have to stop looking for validation from a people who really uh, don't want us to have any equal footing to them. You know, it's just not, that's just not how it's designed. And once we realize that, I think we'll be better off. Um, we have to be, as a people, a little more selfish and, be, and love each other a little bit more. And, you know, when, and when we say, you know, black power and black empowerment, it's not that we hate other people or we don't want to engage in other people, but at this point, we're in such a bad state of affairs, especially with globalization going on, that we really need to come together and do something specific for Africans, 
African American. Uh, and you know, it, 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 <clears throat> history has shown that we're the only group on the planet who has been oppressed by a particular group of people, and we still to this day live side by side with these people half a century later as if nothing ever happened. There is a, a, a damage to our psyche that has been done, and I think, like I said, Dr. Kwaku has a recipe that's going to get us out of this condition. We just need to come together and listen. And Dr. Kwaku also has a book on our website for a digital download, and it's called White Out. Check his book out. He has some stuff to say in that book. So that's another thing that we also have here at T2 Vice Entertainment. We got just about some of everything jumping off over here. Okay. Sister hi, Jean, hi. do you want to respond I, to, um, to our sister? Hi. Okay. Sister Jean. Hello. Did we lose Okay. Yeah, Are you there? I'm back. It was a buzz, and all I could hear was a buzz buzz. Uh-oh. And I can probably uh, hear right. what she was saying on my end. I don't know what happened. Oh. oh, oh, boy. She had some good words there to pass along. But her thing was mainly with uh, us getting, you know, once again, getting together and um, what can be done. And I think that you had talked about that earlier. And, uh, you know, she had mentioned Dr. Kwaku and the things that he talks about as well. Yeah. And the various things that, that we talk about on all of these shows. And, you know, we're coming up with solutions, but we've got to move it past the talking point and get it out here into action. You know, it, thoughts, it starts with thought, and then it moves into action after that. Okay. A Let's lot go of strategic. Go ahead, sorry. my sister. A lot of strategic strategic planning is needed so that you have a plan to go forth, and that plan has to be so strategically placed that they can someone can take that plan and go forward with it. And people have got to sit down at a at a table. Uh, someone's got mm-hmm. to start. That's the first thing they've got to start. And when you get a group of people that are really interested in about making the changes, you've got to have a plan because if you fail to plan, you plan to what to fail. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's where it's time for strategic planning to take our people to a different level. It really is. We've got to strategically determine what's going to be the thing that we can use to pull our children out of the mindsets they have, strategically placed and planned so that we can make a change. And that, that's where I am right now in Tulsa is we are strategically planning, planning dialogue, seminars where we're going to allow our young people to take our issues and debate them. And then from Mm -hmm. their perspective, we are going to have our audience tune in on that and have open dialogue. And that's where we must start with a strategic plan. And I may not know about. (laughs) I'm glad you said that because even with Dr. Kwaku and myself, you know, we've had numerous uh, meetings around uh, our table here you know, we have some great discussions. We drink up all the tea and, and all of that stuff. But now Dr. Quay too has said, hey, man, it's time to start. stop talking. That's we right. got to start moving things into action. And there so he, he has gone downtown and rented out the theater and he's bringing in a couple of filmmakers to do some short films and to talk about the mm-hmm. films. And he's using that as a, a fundraising apparatus uh, for us. And so we're moving the talk into action. 
And so that's, that's what we're it. doing here. And so we're always talking about stuff. And even with the things that Sister Rosalind's doing down there in L.A., communicating mm-hmm. with, with our artists, and we're going to do whatever we can to get them on the stage and come up with new CD projects and do our next film project. And so, but it starts with the written word, and then the written word goes out into action. Let's go to our next yeah. caller from California. Where are you from, the good state of California, and what is your name? Hello there, my brother, Ward. Pastor Bob, how you doing there, brother? Oh, I'm, I'm totally blessed. I'm talking to you on this great show with this great panel that you have today. And I've been sitting back listening a lot. Uh, I'm going to be very brief. First of all, I believe that, as you know, being on your show previously, I always say that we should unite together. We should try to put our funds together so that we can build together. And I've Mm -hmm. been saying this a long, long time. I've even met with groups of uh, men here in the area uh, to try to set something up so that we could purchase some businesses or purchase some land together. If we had a group of African Americans across the country could trust each other and 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 uh, 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 quit talking about who's going to handle the money, uh, <laughs> then we could we could get together possibly and begin to unite and do things. It's a, it, you can talk all day long, but if you don't put up nothing, you don't get nothing. You don't put the seed in the mm-hmm. ground. You don't water the seed. You're not going to get no watermelon. And this mm-hmm. is what has been happening. We have a whole lot of talk going on, but no action. Come on. And we, we need some action. And uh, I went to Africa, uh, to Gambia and, and Senegal and different areas in, in Africa. And one thing they have is product. We, as African Americans, could purchase these products, bring them to the United States, and develop a a system by which we are dealing and buying with our African brothers. I've already I've talked to a lot of them while I'm over there, and I bought a piece of property over in Gambia. And uh, it's a very large piece of land, and I, I just let my driver have it because I didn't know if I was going to ever get back. But I didn't, he, I didn't know if he was going to ever own property because the property is being purchased by Australians and Germans and Chinese. and I mean, everybody's buying the land, so I bought a piece of him. And the issue is to try and unite with the people to get those products uh, to the United States, where we are selling these products, building up some type of businesses for the African American. You see, we call African American by somebody, and uh, we don't act like Africans, and we certainly uh, trip out when it comes to America as a, yes, as a body. So I believe that what we should do, if we're going to talk, let's put up, let's quit talking. And God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to stay with me forever. And it's not because of how many uh, religions say or black people say the white man wrote the book. 
uh, and King James was a monster. It ain't about that. God knows what he's doing at all times. Jesus died for me, and he gave me a brain to think with, and I'm trying to think with it and try to accomplish. One more thing. Listen to this. The Filipinos, the Chinese, uh, now people have come in from Tehran and Iran and Egypt and Greece and now England. They all unite in a community set up their businesses, and they purchase from each other. Yeah. We set up an area in our communities, and we talk about each other and the businesses we have. we got to stop that. These people live together. They serve together. They purchase together. We can't even get together. And this is what we have to have. Now, as far as the, the TV show, Brother Ward, that you have, as I hear the people talking, let's get together somewhere and unite with somebody and boost this TV show, boost the radio show. Let's get him on the air uh, uh, with a channel on television. They got blank channels on television right now, okay? Why yes, can't we unite and say, let's push him? See, we got to do it on push. our own we platform. T25 is, is a television distribution network as well. And that way we can yes. do it worldwide. And the thing about television, usually it's, it's just for the local areas or for certain cable channels or uh, ownerships and whatever. But yes. we can do television right here on our own uh, website. And so, yes, we do have T25PL television, but we just haven't engaged it as yet. And so, yes, we can do that anytime you want. There's no problem. We got everything here to do it. We got cameramen. We got directors. We got it all. But let me ask you guys a, a question here. Pastor Bob, Sister Jean, uh, Dr. Kwaku, Sister Rosalind, all of you guys, our ministers. I want. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to our guests first. I gotta. You know, all due respect. All of you guys are ministers, and Pastor Bob was saying something there about religion. Do you guys feel that religion is a hindrance to our progress because we are so divided religiously between? The first Baptist, the second Baptist, the third Baptist, the Church of Christ. I'm a this, I'm a Muslim, or I'm a Hebrew Israelite, or I'm a whatever. And do you guys feel, and I'm going to start Sister Jean first, feel that religion is a hindrance because we're all struggling for our own identity and ideology on a spiritual level, and we're debating this too much instead of doing like Pastor Bob said, put the money up and let's get something going here, and let's do some work. Sister Jean, do you think it's a hindrance religion is with us as black folks? I, I believe a little different. I'm a firm believer that religion will kill you. Relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is what will make us survive as a people. It's relationship, tradition, and all that is what's getting in the way. Until we have the relationship that we need to have with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and allowing him to lead us, direct us, 
because he's not going to give us a direction that is not according to his will. And we begin to listen to the spirit of the Lord, with that rela- and that comes in that relationship, and not get caught up on, well, I believe this and you believe that. Believe in him. And everything will, it'll, believe it or not, it will, everything will straighten out. People will come together because they'll be looking for relationship and not religion. Mm-hmm. All right. Sister Kemper wants to respond to that. Go ahead. Kemba, are you there? Wait, wait a minute. I think she dropped off and came back. Can you hear me? Okay. Are you there? Hello? Okay. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to um, chime in and piggyback off some subjects that we were speaking on. Um, I didn't really get a chance to talk about communication between us as elders and adults and the young people. Um, fortunately, I, 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 well, I am fortunate enough to have relationships with young kids because I, what I do is I take what they're doing and I put myself in it. I'll give you a couple examples. In addition to that, they have to have respect for you. And in addition to that, you have to make them feel like they have a voice. So I also ask them questions. So I, I have I have a thirteen I have a 13-year-old grandson and I always want to get into his mind. I want to know what he's thinking because some of these kids out here, they toting guns at nine years old and we gonna never know because we don't try to get into their mind. So, as we know, this world is telling them that it's okay to be a homosexual. So, I, I, I am blunt and very blatant. Um, I let him know why it's not natural. I let him know what the repercussions are. Um, I do it verbally. I, I also do it, um, I, I let him look at pictures. I let him look at pictures. This is what happened um, in 1982 when AIDS came out. It was only, okay, so you have to be a little bit dramatic. Okay, I can, I had an episode with a young man. Um, I, like, you know, I'm, I'm an actor. I was on set, and this young African, um, I call him a thundercat. This young African thundercat was getting into it with another young man. So couldn't nobody calm him down. And so I'm like, okay, well, you can't calm him down. You just got to bring him up and build him up. So that's what I believe that we need to start doing. We can't come to these youngsters and and tell them, um, well, Jesus said this and Jesus said that. And the reason why is because they're very opinionated. They are into facts. And this generation is um, everybody's a fraud. You, you, if they can, they can spot a fraud in a minute. And religion, as we know, um, is 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 based off a book. It's based off spirituality. It's based off your knowledge, your and the spirit that you feel. Just for um, a spirit based, a spirit based religion. Well, I, I used to be a very religious person, meaning I would go to church twice on Sunday. I would stand out there and evangelize. And then one day I'm sitting in church. I'm sorry if I skipped over, but I want to address these issues. Um, and I, to me, I said, wait a minute, this, this sounds like some slave stuff. So my pastor used to always say, if you don't believe me, go to the book, start researching. So that's what I did. 
I, I start thinking outside the box, and I start reading those scriptures, and I start reading other books. And what I did find out is, although we know that those scriptures that's in the Bible came from Africa, we know that uh, Alexander, the Greek and them, they burnt up everything that they could to make sure that our history was forgotten and they would replace our history with theirs. We have to read between the lines. And if we don't read between the lines, if we don't get down to the language, because the language is everything. If, I, if, if you tell me right now that finesse means one thing, and this kid over here thinks that finesse means something else, we have to go back to the origin. We have to see how it was translated and how it's, it's being um, translated today. So for me, religion as of today, it has been corrupted. It has been corrupted because we're not really studying. We're taking what our ancestors have taught us and a lot of stuff that our ancestors know. We don't want to say that grandma said is not right, but we also know that grandma, every generation is moving further away from slavery. So their generation had more enslavement in them. And so the white people or the white enslavers were able to influence what they, what they thought and what they said. Now we, in the world of technology, we should be able to research for ourselves. If we come upon a word in the book that we don't know, let's not floss over it. Let's dissect that thing. And so, uh, and so, w- what I'm trying to say here is, these kids, you can't sit up there. My grandbaby told me at nine years old. Oh, so you believe in that white Jesus? Nine years old, he told me you believe in that white Jesus. Oh, I so bet you eat pork too. So what you're saying basically, then, what we know of religion is what has been given to us over 400 years here in America, and we don't understand the deep rooted meaning of it, the true history of it from a historical standpoint, where once it came from in East Africa. Is that what you're referring to? That and that we have to we have to get on this thing and research it for ourselves. I and I and I do read the Bible, but I'm I'm not gonna say that I am a Christian because I know where Christianity came from. But I, I can just I can say that I am a believer and I am very spiritual and I have had I hear I have heard the voice you know so I do believe but do I believe in what the Roman Catholic Church the enslavers of Africa and our people have installed No, I don't. I don't believe that because I've been reading for myself. I've been learning for myself. I've been trying to get another language for myself. And when you can get down in the ditches and, 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 and get to these kids and, and talk to them on their own level, then they'll start listening. Andre, I just want to interject real quick on that, on that question that you asked in regards to the uh, congregational, different congregations, different denominations getting together, and I think that is something that causes the dysfunction of the natural black family, and mm-hmm. this, is, this is the reason that I say that. It's because as the church, as I've seen it over the 63 years God's given me sight on this earth, there was always a natural family of gathering. Now we have in the church, we got the woman's ministry, we got the man's ministry, 
we got the sisters of something, we got the first mothers. You know, there there's there's a division of just saying we're in God's place, but it's my church. So I think that, that the kids are saying, well, when you got a different type of ministry, I don't know who to listen to. Because they yeah. say there's a shortage of men in the church. So the kids are saying, well, there's no man in the church. All I got to do is listen to the woman. So my thing is, my thing is, why haven't there been a national movement of the church to come together, all different denominations, and say there's a cleaning that needs to occur? There's a cleaning that needs to occur for a natural family. And I'm talking about black churches. How come we're not calling for a national movement where you don't have to come up and do a, a, a meeting place like we did with the Million Men, Million Women's March in Washington? How come one day out of the year or one month out of the year we can't see these different denominations say, let everybody go to the capital of your state and raise hands for natural family movement? for us showing some unity as black people. Remember, we used to strive to get equality for the black yeah. family. Where yeah. is that going yeah. on today? That's, that's why I think so you're correct. I, I, I have a, an answer for that, but I want to defer over to our guest because I don't want her to get lost in this. I want to defer over to Gene with that. And, and based on what he was saying and what Kimba was saying, it kind of reminded me of two weeks ago when we first met. Uh, that fool who stood up and made those comments when you were giving your lecture, <laughs> you know, and and I just want to say now that he was not a family member. It, he was not in our bloodline. He was some spinoff who believing in some other twinked out uh, theological belief. But uh, some brother, I mean, here's a sister giving her lecture on things, and, and it went like how we just went to uh, theology in this conversation. And she had mentioned that she's a minister. And then he wants to point out a certain point in the Bible that says that women are not allowed to be ministers. And everybody in that room, one brother got up, turned around, and walked out. And it just couldn't take it. It was just such a ridiculous and asinine thing to say, and it was an insult to Sister Jean itself. So... The question that Rodney is asking now is, can religions come together with a unity base in the church? Is that possible? It is possible because here in Tulsa, being a pastor, and I have relationships with uh, quite a few, and I'm also one of the executives of a Tulsa Christian Ministers Alliance, one of the only women in that. Uh, where we are reaching out and we have uh, Jewish, Muslim, Native American, Baptist, Methodist, a, 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 a lot of different religions that are working together and men, uh, praising together and working together to make Tulsa a better community because I'm a firm believer that if the churches, churches can come together with the heart of the people because that's what church is about. It, it's not about a building. It's not about a 
book of rules and regulations and regulations is about the heart of man, the love that God has for us. And when we can bring the, the leaders in and and they can come together because people do, they do look at their leaders, they look at their pastors as if you aren't if you want to keep your little church here all by yourself and you don't want to reach out and touch the other people, that shows a separation and there is no separation with God. So here we do have organizations where we come together of all religions here in Tulsa. We have dialogue and we change pulpits on Sundays and, and things of that nature. So I can really say that you learn a lot when you're dealing with other religions and, and when you're crossing the racial barrier, because I also, and it's not too many African-Americans that really say that, I believe that there is one race when you start talking about true race with God, and that's the human race, because we all believe the same. So I know that the African-American people have been held and mistreated and things of that nature, and we need to pull ourselves together so we can pull ourselves up. But I do think that there's an input when it comes to churches coming together, because we all know it is the most segregated time of the week is on Sunday morning, because most of the majority mm-hmm. of the churches all according to their race. And until mm-hmm. we can realize people are people and, and look at people with respect because we want to be respected, we have to respect as well. Because you do get what you say, and that is so real. So okay, I want to defer back to my New Jersey uh, uh, listener. I think this is Daryl that fell off. New Jersey, is that you, Daryl? Uh, yeah. You know, I I, I want to say that uh, I am a, <clears throat> a very active member of my church, uh, Community Baptist Church in Englewood, New Jersey, under the uh, leadership of uh, Pastor Dr. Lester Taylor, Jr. Um, I, uh, you know, it's very interesting because we're talking about religion and, <clears throat> you know, Religion is religion. I mean, there there are many different religions. However, I I, I agree with my beautiful sister who who stated that it's really not about the religion. I mean, Baptist, Protestant, uh, Catholicism, um, it is about the relationship that you have with the Lord. It is about your belief and your faith. Let's not get confused with religion and yeah. the relationship that you have with your God, my God, our God, because there's only one God. There's so many. There are multitudes of religions. Uh, again, my, my, my good friend Rodney and I, were, this morning, we were just discussing this matter. Uh, and we were just discussing, and I told him that, that you know, churches, well, actually, Rodney initiated this conversation and stated to me that, uh, you know, what are the churches doing? What are the churches doing with, with regard to uh, helping the homeless, and what are the churches doing to, uh, with regard to helping the hungry? Um, you know what? It, it, it takes one person. It, it, you know, it takes one person to initiate this, to, to go into one church and initiate this. And I agree with my beautiful sister, uh, who also stated that the churches are working together, and that's because someone stepped up to the plate. Someone stepped up to the plate and said, "Well, let's do this. Let's let's unite. Let's 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 uh, put these programs together. Let's go out uh, uh, in, into community." And I, I know in, in my church, uh, 
But, you know, we go door to door. We go into the different communities and we deliver packages and bags of food to individuals. But how did that start? Was that the pastor's idea? Was that one individual's idea to initiate this idea? Um, you know, it's a difference between um, um, idealistic and realistic. You know, idealistic simply means this is what you want. This is how you think it should be. But the reality of it is not so until someone initiates that idea mm-hmm. and bring, bring that to the administration and the different ministries within the church and get that going. Because in, 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 in some individuals' minds, the, the churches are not working together. But my experience within the churches and my church is that they are working together simply because someone brought this idea to the pastor or to the different ministries, and they got together and, and the other churches picked up on it, and we started communicating. You see, communication is the key. Yeah. We have to talk about this. We have to talk about this not only within the church but within our communities, but you know what? Who attends our churches but the individuals in our communities? Now, this is well, what we do. Well, so, well, Sister, Sister Jean, based yes, on what he's saying, is First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, the mm-hmm. the, the Buddhists, the Catholics, Muslims, Jews, whatever. I mean, the, the list is long. Is somebody, is one person right and everybody else is wrong? Mm-hmm. Or is everybody has a limited interpretation of the real truth? It is mm-hmm. an old television show called To Tell the Truth, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm asking two things at once. Who's telling the truth? If, if mm-hmm. I'm coming here had no religion whatsoever, I have about five ministers here on this call. Who is telling the truth? And if I don't know anything about religion, how do I know which church or what theology to believe in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the Bible says that man cannot come unless he's drawn. Mm. Unless he's drawn. Every man that was on this earth was put here for a destiny and a purpose. And the true and living God will draw him to him. Uh, we So I can't tell you this is right. I can just say what I know, not just believe, but what I know and what I've I experienced in my life with the true and living God. Because we all know there's one God. We just have all these different interpretations of what that means. Right. Yeah, there's only one truth. And yeah, it's just interpretations. one. And you just have all these interpretations of what it is. And, and I've, I say this very bluntly. I truly believe in the Savior Lord, in my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit uh-huh. because I believe in the miracles and signs and wonders that my God does every day. Uh-huh. I can see him because I can see his hand at work. And a perfect example would be yesterday, they, my husband's blood pressure dropped down to 60 over 40, and they couldn't wake him up, and he was on his way out of here. Uh-huh. And I just moved over grabbed a hold of his hand and began to pray and speak life into him as the Lord has taught me to do. And after 15-plus minutes, that brother's eyes opened up, his blood pressure went up, his blood began to come back in his arms because they got really hot and warm where they were freezing cold, and he looked at me and said, hi. So I've watched God move over the years. Uh-huh. And so when, when God is, draws you, the true God will, will come to light. 
I don't care yes. what you believe and how many religions you have, but the right. true and living God will show who he is. Because when and he that's the relationship with God. That's that relationship thing that I first started the whole conversation. It's about relationship. And people say religion, but if you don't have a relationship, you don't have anything. But can, you have, but can can you have a relationship with God without having a religion? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I say that religion is religion, depending on however you want to look at it. If you want to look at it as a Muslim, if you want to look at it as, as a Jew, you want to look at it as a collapse, collapse oh, excuse me, excuse me, me and that word, I have a problem with it, as a Catholic a religion, if you want to look at it as Protestant, keep whatever. Bottom mm-hmm. line, we've got one God, <clears throat> one God. Amen. And, yeah. and if I'm I'll say this, if I'm wrong, I don't have anything to worry about. But if not believing in the Lord and someone is wrong not believing in him, I'll take that chance. So one can have salvation or go to heaven or whatever you want to call it or go to the hereafter by believing in God without having to go to church then? Yes, I, I agree with that. Let me just I agree with that point. as well. My, my, my father is a pastor. I agree with that too. Absolutely. And he taught me, you know, and, and this, this is why, this is why we, we, uh, um, we, we prosper so much because it's not about, it's not about the building. You know, it's not it's it's not about that at all. You see, God didn't leave us with a relationship. Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't Jesus uh, of Nazareth did not leave us with a, uh, a religion. He left us with a comforter, and he let us know that I'm leaving you with a comforter. You know, so as long as you believe in him, you're gonna be all right. So mm-hmm. it's not about that religion. It's it's about it's about your faith, and it's about the relationship with God. That's it. There you go. There you Amen. go. And, and it's just like it down there in L.A. Uh, they got this one preacher, Fred Price. He he gets up there in the pulpit and brags about, oh, I got $25 million. I got seven cars because I want to drive a different car throughout the course of the week. I want to drive a Lamborghini one day, a Bentley another day, a Mercedes another day. And, and here it is. Oh, I want the best house and all of this. And here it is. He's got all these people out there. If you're rich, you get in on the front row. And but here it is. People coming in there, social security checks, welfare checks, whatever, and giving this cat money. And he's going to sit up here and brag about his wealth that he got through the church. And see, somebody like that needs to be taken out to the Pacific Ocean, dropped in, and fed to the sharks out there in the Catalina Islands somewhere. Uh, it, see, th- this is just yeah. taking it way Hello. beyond the Hello. relationship with the creator. It, yeah. it Hello. has nothing to do with God. He brags about, I heard him say one day, oh, I got $500 tithes. I want to spend $500 Hello. on a damn tithe. And here it is, people yeah. down in South Central can't hardly even eat, and he's got a closet full of $500 tithes oh. and garage full of, of half-million-dollar cars and seven twenty-five million million liquid in the bank. Ain't going to sit up here and brag about the money he's been taking away from the people. Hello. See, these are false prophets Hello. That, that are in your scripture. Go ahead, my brother. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Hello, this this is Brother Bob. Yes, sir. Uh, folks, I don't know everything and never will. I don't know all the Bible, and I doubt if I ever will, but I love it. 
I'm 81 years old, and I've been through some of everything. When we talk about pastors and preachers, let's not look at the bad side. Because I wasn't always, I wasn't always a minister. I've done some terrible things, and watch mm-hmm. out, I still have a left hook. But the whole deal is this: is that there are many preachers they say that have been called who do crazy things. As far as I, I use that word, because I don't bite my tongue. They beg, they ask, they get the money, they live lavishly. There are preachers that don't beg, that don't live lavish, that speak the word of God. And when we talk about religion, you can believe in a dog, and that can be your religion. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a Christian, which is Catholicism, and it is not the Catholic Church. It's Catholic worldwide, which is the worldwide church, okay? Religion uh, uh, can be anything. So I want you brothers to understand and sisters to understand something, that faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. If you don't have no faith and you you don't hear and you don't read, then you don't understand. And that is the bottom line to that. All pastors, all ministers are not bad. My wife. I believe by the grace of God who put me with her is the cause of me going to college to study a while uh, uh, Christianity. My wife is the Reverend Dr. Valerie Brown Trout, and I Mm -hmm. love her, and she is a great minister. Pastors talk about uh, scripture in Paul where Paul states that the women should be silent in the church. And the reason this is, I believe, after study is because women were in the church gossiping and doing other things while that particular service was going on. So Paul pointed to the point of saying that people really, in essence, to pay attention to what's happening in the ministry rather than gossip and cause problems in the ministry. So I love women who preach because many women preach the gospel so very strong based on a lot of things that they have went through in life. So when you talk about religion, it could be anything. But when you talk about Christ, it can't be but one thing, and that's Christianity. And we have to look at those things, such as in the Greeks when it says triescos, uh, which is a, 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 a religious, it's a careful of the external services uh, that might be used uh, to deviate and draw you a different way from where you should go. So there is, I mean, when we look at another thing real quick, and I'm going to get out of here. Uh, when we look at, we talk about the Muslim and the Muslim religion. If you study the Mohammed, who they named the religion after, you will find out that Mohammed was first studying about God, Jesus Christ. 
of God. He was studied, okay? He never claimed to be anyone divine at all. His people even wanted to massacre him. So when we look at that, we look at something that man has drawn and begin to use for himself like they're doing today. Only some of your TV preachers are having great big buildings where they could be building apartment units to put the homeless up. A $50 million glass cathedral in Los Angeles, California, could have been $50 million with the land bought, and we wouldn't have no home. So, you see, we do have problems, but we must we must pay attention to what we're saying, I believe, when we begin to classify. As far as churches, as far as the churches go, or the ministries, I call them ministries. I don't call them churches. We should unite. If we all believe in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, let's get together as ministries and begin to do something. If you but, wonder if every, else, but wonder if everybody don't believe in that as black people, as especially as these black youth, because a lot of black youth today are going, they're, they're not believing in that, and um, we, we have an issue. And for you to sit up here and say that it's only um, if you believe in Christ, then we should all get together. But let's let's not talk about religion. Let's talk no, about I'm our going people. Now, I have to, I'm let's, sorry, let's talk so, about so. let's just talk about black nationalism because no. all right. of us can have a different religion. But if we come together under one pretext as being black, let's solve those issues. Let's not bring religion into mm-hmm. this because this has turned into no, a religious sermon. I'm sorry, you brought it up, but I have to say this. If I am a Christian and believe in Christ, I first want to deal with the people who are in Christ in order to expand. I cannot expand unless I deal with my own group. So if I'm dealing with God, And that's the Jesus, problem that we have right Spirit, now with our youth. No, that's we don't exactly have the problem. I don't have a problem. We, we have a, I don't have a no, problem. No, I'm not saying that you I have a problem, with, sir. I, I deal no, with, I you, with Muslims. It's the, I it's the youth that's having the problem, Pastor Bob. It's okay. not her. It's the youth that are having the problem. Because, problem. because once again, it's like you said in your opening state, statement, and you say it on all the shows when you come on, is that, hey, let's put up some money. Let's do something. And you got those youth. You got them then. It's just that when you take them into the realm of the unknown and something that you can't instantly prove or verify or, or that they can get some instant gratification, then you've lost them. But once right. you can show them the economic way, and then you can start cleaning them up spiritually, mentally, <clears throat> and all that same old team. Okay. Okay. Brother Ward, let's get into let me tell you, I'm, Brother Ward, I'm dealing with some youth now. See, I'm not just up here talking to you. I'm and doing. The youth is, and I'm dealing with some youth. I'm dealing with some youth right now who have been just awesome. They people mm-hmm. call them terrible, but when they come to me and we sit out and talk, they're not doing Bible research. <clears throat> they wasn't doing Bible research before. You see, I don't only talk to them about the Bible. I talk to them about the world. I talk to them about society. I talk to them about what type of job market you might get into later. I talk to them how to treat black girls and how to treat black women, and then I come back in and I teach them the Bible. I'm in the street with kids. So when I talk about kids, I have some of the kids who are now married 
in business in the city of Oakland who were beating their grandparents up. A -hmm. bunch of us were together doing this. So, see, when you keep talking about kids, it's ways that we can get to the kids. It ain't always economics. You got to get into a kid's mind, and you can't get into his mind just talking. Okay, but now, let's get in back because we only got a few minutes left. You know, we set these shows up for an hour, but now we're into the second hour, so we don't want to go past 12 o'clock. And with all due respect to our guests, I want to get into the w- main point of contention of this show about 1921 with Black Wall Street. And I was there a couple of weeks ago, and when she told exactly what happened that set this whole thing off, that destroyed an entire economic movement there in the Greenwood section of Tulsa, commonly called Black Wall Street. So, Sister Jean, tell them what exactly happened on that day that started this whole mess. Well, on May 30th, a young man by the name of Dick Rowland, a 19-year-old shoeshine boy, had to go to the Drexel building to use the restroom. The Drexel building at that time was the only place that African-Americans could use the restroom. As he went to the Drexel building, he began to get on the elevator. There was a young white lady by the name of Sarah Page. She's 17 years old. Dick Rowland is 19 years old. As he steps on the elevator, it's uneven, and he falls against Sarah Page. She screams. Now, this is what she's historically written. She screams, there's a Renberg clerk next door that hears her scream. So when the elevator's open, Dick Rowland runs out. The, the Renberg clerk goes to her assistance. And as I told them the other week, I have a little problem with that. It's Memorial Day, and Renberg's is not open. So that's a red flag for me. And next, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Page goes downtown. Uh, they're, she's telling basically what happened in the elevator. But I have people, people must really realize something. In 1921, African-Americans and whites could not be a couple. There's a book that was written called Angels of Mercy by Mr. Bob Howard. He is a grandson of Maurice Willows, who was the uh, president of the Red Cross that came to the rescue of the African-Americans after the race riot, the race massacre. And in his book, Dick Rowland's mother, who is an adopted, Dick Rowland was adopted, Adopted mother says, Dick Rowland and his new friend Sarah, they've been palling around. So were they just, was there two strangers in the elevator or was that something else? And when we look mm-hmm. at the fact that African-American people and whites, they couldn't have relationships in those days, they would have said what they needed to say to cover up that fact. So we want to take a look at that. You've got Dick Rowland who's arrested the next day on May 31st. He's taken to the courthouse put up on the top floor, and then the newspaper article by the Tribune begins to send out articles about lynching Negroes and, and a nab a Negro for assaulting a white woman. Those articles are going through the newspaper. So you've got this mad mob that's coming down to the courthouse. And at first there was just a few of them, and then it built to 250 and then even up to 5,000 people around the uh, courthouse. But during the early part of it, we have our African-American soldiers who are no longer going to be second-class citizens. They come to the courthouse. They ask to assist Sheriff McCullough 
And he tells them, no, I don't need you. Me and my men, we've got this. Just get on out of here and go back home. So they leave. But this crowd continues to swell, and that buzz is all over Greenwood. Something is going on. Those soldiers go back to the courthouse, and they address Sheriff McCullough one more time. And he, again, tells them to go. I don't need you. We have this under control. When this crowd is swelling and no one is paying any attention to anything he says anyway. As they turn to retreat, there's a young uh, young man there, a young deputized a white gentleman who, not gentleman, but hooligan, who approaches an African-American soldier, and he has his gun, and he says, what are you going to do with that gun? And you can put the words in. Uh, I'll use it if I have to. Then there's this argument of the gun and this, this shuffling and pulling, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a gunshot, there's a dead man. Mm-hmm. Guns begin to fire from both sides, and guns fire up until maybe one thirty or 2 o'clock the next morning. You have African-Americans dropping. You have whites dropping, and the African-Americans are so outnumbered, but they continue to fight for their own Greenwood as long as they possibly could. They kept retreating back, and the people kept coming. Around one thirty, you could start to hear maybe a boom, boom, boom. There's a little uh, fires going. It's already gotten started. But the next morning, a horn goes off really early, and 10,000 whites invade Greenwood, the Greenwood district. They loot. They burn. They murder. They take no consideration, whether it's a grandmother, a grandfather, a baby, a child. Children were murdered during this massacre. The people's homes were burned to the ground. Every business on Greenwood was literally burned to the ground. We had the new high school, which was Booker T. Washington High School, that they didn't burn because it was a new high school, and it was basically in the white district. And then you had the First Baptist Church that was also in that same place. And those two buildings were not burned. There's a few homes that survived, but very few homes survived that race ride. You had 10,000 African Americans who went running for their lives. They took off running, going north uh, as far as Bartlesville, uh, Sky Took, and they began to, um, they were on feet running. Some had their wagons loaded, and there's one story where an older couple had a coat. All she had was this big, heavy coat. And it got so heavy for her, she couldn't even carry it. So she said, please, someone just take it. Someone help me. You had people with children trying to make it, with babies trying to make it, and it was just too much load, and they just basically collapsed. Then you had the airplanes that next morning that was dropping firebombs down on the businesses. Because a lot of the pictures that you see about the burning of Black Wall Street, the fire is coming from the top versus the bottom. And we, in 2014, Mr. Uh, John W. Franklin, who is John Hope Franklin's son. Mr. B.C. Franklin is the attorney who handled all the race riot survivors' cases because, of course, Tulsa did not want uh, Black Wall Street rebuilt. Mm. In that, they didn't want it rebuilt. In that, uh, uh, John W. Franklin gave us paperwork in 2014 where Mr. B.C. Franklin himself, it was his type, hand type, and hand-signed statement about what happened on Black Wall Street, what happened to Greenwood. And one of the very first things that he talks about is stepping out and watching airplanes drop firebombs on Tulsa, on Black Wall Street. And so that solidified that fact, well, they're just making it up. They're just making it up. Yes, they actually did, because there are statements in the book, uh, 
is into the Tulsa race ride by Mary Jones Parish, where the little girl is saying, Mama, why is our country declaring war on us? Because the children didn't, no one understood what, they were totally caught off guard, had no idea that all these people were going to evade and destroy all the work they'd done, all the work that had been built. You had African-American people who owned their own own airplane. Mr. Simpson owned his own uh, airplane, and he actually used his airplane service to take rich white oilmen back and forth. So he's a very successful businessman. He owned the transit system as well as the gently system. And he was a very rich African-American. The Williams, they had businesses. They had uh, their own garage, their own boarding homes, and they just it just kept going. As far as you could see, you had striving businesses. Of course, you had your joints and the different things like that as well. But you had the, the the hotels and stuff were beyond anything in the whole area. Uh, it was a a group of people, and I want to say a very resilient people. The African Americans in 1921, once all their stuff was burned and destroyed, the people were put in uh, internment camps. Internment, excuse me, camps where the men were separated from the women and the children. They walked for you want to say in some cases miles to get to those internment camps. They had their hands up over their heads. Just imagine it's 100 degrees outside. You haven't had sleep for two and a half days, no food, no water. Some of you might have had a gunshot in the stomach or you might have been a pregnant woman or you had been beaten in the head with a club and there's blood running on these people and you've got this group of whites standing on the side laughing at them as they portrayed paraded them down the street as animals and young children running and kicking and calling them all type of bad names. And all they could think about is what they've lost. What happened to my dear Greenwood? Where's my grandmother? Where's my wife? Where's my child? The last thing they could remember maybe was the couple that was sitting on their porch praying and two white men walked up and blowed them away. Or the uh, Sandpipe Hill where we now in Tulsa, we had this huge statue that says OSU Tulsa where they stood with Gatlin's guns, Barreling, barreling down on the individuals as they ran for their lives. They blew up Mount Zion Baptist Church because they fired in there so much. They said that there was ammunition and guns in Mount Zion Church when it was proven that they were not there. But their main deal was to destroy a church that had just been completely built, a brand new church at the tune of $92,000 in 1921. They had just completed this beautiful Ephesus and they just blew it, basically blew it up. Uh, I could just go on and on of the stories that, that we have historically from eyewitness accounts. I can say that there have never there has never been a race riot, as I'll say as they said it, they call it a race massacre of that magnitude in the history of the United States of America. And my prayer is that it never happens again. When we had the shooting in September, the first thing I saw when I saw the video with his Mr. Crutcher's hands up in the air was the statue that we have in the John Hope Franklin Reconciliation Park that says humility. It's a 16-foot bronze statue with a man with his hands up. And that, that day I just said, Lord, not again, and begin the work of reconciliation. My job at the John Hope Franklin Center is reconciliation. That's what I do every day. We tell this story day after day, and we educate people about the history of Tulsa. 
so in hopes that when they leave there, they can tell some of the story that will spread the Negro history throughout the country because this, this uh, terrible incident has been a hush, hush, a, a closet secret for so long. Now yeah. we're getting all type of um, exposure, and I hope people continue to tell the story so that they won't believe. Uh, when I was young, all we saw was uh, African American people, and like, you know, they showed successful people. They were farmers, or they were something. They didn't show us things like what happened on Black Wall Street. We didn't have that to look at. And if our young people could really get a hold of that and see what African Americans are capable of doing. Maybe that will help them come together and want to build our people versus tearing them down. Yes, ma'am. You know, I, I, I feel your compassion, and I put everybody on mute because I wanted you to say what you just said without interruption, and I wanted everybody to hear your words. And I'm just going to go right down the list one by one for your closing question and closing statement because we've been on now for two hours and two minutes. And so, and I do want Sister to go ahead and take care of her husband today too because he's not feeling well. So um, we're just going to go right down the, the list here with uh, Brother Rodney. Rodney, oh, hold on a second. Rodney, you there? Um, man, I got to tell you, was it? Mr. Ward, powerful, very powerful, powerful show. Very, very much the so. Message, the mad message about what truly happened is, is something that needs to go back into the American history books. And the whole con the whole conversation about the uh, different denominations getting together in a united effort to to move a move a message of unity across the United States, I think it's powerful. And I like to thank my uh, College mate, uh, Mr. Daryl Thornton, for for joining us, and and we're going to look forward to to um, talking again with Mr. Thornton on Tuesday night. So tune on in. He's uh, he has right. a lot to share. We got 15 okay. years to make it up. And again, thank you, Mr. Ward, for allowing me to to share in. And and this was totally a powerful, powerful, powerful show. Yeah, you see how it hit me two weeks ago, and after she said what she said two weeks ago, that's what I got to have you on the show. Okay, I'm going to go to Dr. Kwaku next. Doc, go ahead with your closing uh, statement or comment to Jean Marie. Uh, well, it was a, it was a wonderful show today, brother. But I guess I want to, you know, I want to get back to the this whole religious thing. I want people to understand. First of all, there's a lot of testosterone flying on there, so we don't know if God was a man or a woman, you know, to be quite honest with you. And and not only that, uh, people need to understand that you have to go back and study beyond 1615 of King James or uh, uh, the Bible. You have to go back and study beyond it because that's where the true knowledge lies. The knowledge that we have received after that time in the, in the Christian Bible or the Quran, these are man's interpretations and man's made-up rules and regulations in order to control the masses of people. And I say this, that, uh, you know, and people are not going to like it, 
I want to, I'm going to challenge everyone to come on my show Thursday night. We are going to have some other people on that's going to be discussing this. There is no proof nowhere on the planet that anybody named Jesus Christ ever existed. And I know that that's going to strike a nerve with a lot of people. But the reality of it is God existed long before European history ever came into being. God existed in each and every one of us. But in, until we can really get back to the basic information about who we are as a people, we will never realize and come in contact with that creative force. God is yes, here sir. today. God All is right. here today. He's with each okay. and every one of us. I thank you for the opportunity to, to yes. uh, speak on it. Take care. Hold yes, sir. All right. Oh, Tepper, we'll see you on Thursday. All right. Let's go to um, Alex next. Uh, hold on. Let's get you unmuted there. Alex, Lisa. you there? That's Lisa. Uh, Lisa. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I just want to say great show, and I really appreciate the history um, about um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, it's odd because I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1974. So I, I kind of, my generation, we kind of grew up in the shadow of, you know, everything that happened through the civil rights movement and, and all the, the advancements that the baby boomer generation, um, all the advancements that they made, you know, I kind of, we grew up in that shadow. But um, I just wanted to kind of comment on, uh, the story of Black Wall Street. I think that, you know, we want to say that we don't want it to happen again, and we hope that it don't, but I just want to say that once we start getting ourselves together and we start moving ahead, there's always going to be someone there that's going to be trying to tear us down. So I think it's just our duty at this point in time to stand up and not run away. Um, I think, like Dr. Kwaku says, we got to have a different mindset, and we got to, you know, stand up for ourselves and, and Few people are going to be lost. I hate to say, you know, die or killed or anything like that. But there's 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 a radical change that have to have to happen in our community. It can't be about religion. It can't be about any of that. It has to literally be about a people who have historically suffered. And now, how what are we going to do to redress all that suffering? And I know a lot of people don't want to hear about the government, but everything that every other group in this country has gotten, whether it be land grabbing, redlining, you know, everything that every group has gotten and is now able to pass down through generation after generation is something that the government has happened to have a hand in. So I think we as a people have to go back to the government and redress that. Some of the laws and some of the book things that are on the books, um, we could try to, like you said, uh, put our money together, do everything we can, but there's always going to be laws in this country that we as black people don't understand that are really laws that are stacked up against us. So I think yes. our work is cut out for us, you know, and our work is definitely cut out for us, but we need to address the government in this country because I think that has a lot to do with our suffering and why other groups mm-hmm. feel like it's okay. Yes, got it. You're absolutely right, my sister. Let's go to Barbara. Barbara, are you there? Okay, I guess you yeah. hung Hello. Up. Hello. Oh, it's Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob, go ahead. Yeah. Boy, this has been this has just really been powerful today. I mean, wow. <laughs> I don't know what to say, but I will I'll 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 end with this real quick. 
Give me my 40 acres and a mule and I can make it. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and uh and uh I can really get over. I uh lived on Green Green uh Wood Street there as a kid for a while. My mother went to Madam Mays and Madam C J Walker's beauty school across from a hotel. And I used to look out the window all the time. I was a kid coming out of Ogmulgee, Oklahoma, where I was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it's been quite a, uh, this has been quite a lift up for me today, although, you know, I run my mouth on different things and don't bite my tongue on it. I appreciate all of you there. Uh, I listen to all of you there. And I hope somehow that we can all unite together to try and, I'm for production. Don't think I'm not for production and building a black economy. I am all for that. But we have to unite under one, and we have to do it under one. And I also deal with people of of religions, okay, because they're human beings. God put them here too. So you can deal with people, but you don't have to believe in what they believe like they don't believe in what you believe. So God bless you all. The God that I believe in, may you all go forth and have success yes, and unite together somehow. All right. We'll talk to you on Tuesday, Pastor Bob. Let's go to Brother Darrell. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it seems as if the, the consensus uh, and the adjective that has been most widely used to describe this program is powerful. And it has been just that powerful. I'd like to also add that it's been an amazing experience. Um, I'm really used to participating in uh, a lot of different discussions, but to participate in a discussion such as this with such an array of topics that were discussed uh, from individuals from different sectors of our country has been amazing. I'd like to... Firstly, also thank uh, my my former uh, college roommate, Brother Rodney Best. Thank you for inviting me, Rodney. It's been a great experience. Um, I uh, I like to also say that uh, uh, the topics of religion and all the other topics that were discussed were were phenomenal. Uh, but I like to uh, give uh, a lot of thanks to my beautiful sister for. Uh, speaking on well, her last statement on the uh, on Greenwood and uh, Tulsa. Uh, while I'm familiar with it, I have never ever heard it conveyed, transfer uh, transferred in, in 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 such a compassionate, emotional manner. And I, for one, will share that compassion and that information to my clients, my coworkers, my constituents. Uh, individuals in my ministry as well. And Brother Ward, I am a fan, and I will be listening to you and participating as much as possible. Rodney, you're very welcome, my brother. Rodney, I look forward to speaking with you and participating on Thursday. Thanks a lot to all of you guys. Have a very blessed remainder of the weekend. Thank you, sir. Be blessed. You're welcome. We're going to go to Sister Kimba. Yes, hi, thank you. 
I love this format, and I love the fact that we all have our voice and we were able to listen to one another um, ideas. Um, thank you, um, Dr. Uh, Neil, for all of your input and information. And you changed it. It's a small change in my mind that changed it from a riot to a massacre. Um, and this this type of format is what we need because it's a start. If we can just have a start, then we can get to the finish line and affect um, our youth. And, and, and that's what I'm really about is trying to help our youth because they are our future and, and we see where the world is going right now. So if we can inform them of where we came from, you know, and what we need to do to get our respect back and our pride back, then I think we can jump hurdles. And I just want to say thank you again to everyone who participated. All right. All right. Thank you, my sister. Lady Rods, take us home. As a family member, as a business owner, one of the business owners of T25CL, there is one phrase that stands out to me and will always stand out to me is united we stand. Go ahead. Make it plain. There is a, a ringing in all our ears right now of the power that has been presented on this platform today. When we think about our people, I, I went to college and Bacon College on Shawnee Drive. My grandmother was in Muskogee. Uh, uh, I went, I lived in Tulsa. I, 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 you guys, you people on this platform might be my cousins. I don't know. <laughs> but when we think about everything that has taken place, and, and, and Pastor Jean, I really, really appreciate you uh, coming on today. I would love to meet and get more information from you and move further uh, with your ministry and everything that you are about because you're a powerful, powerful woman, a woman of God, first of all, and a woman who has brought forth knowledge to a number and then to a thousand of people who will be listening to this show because it's definitely been recorded. Um, but I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge then, of course, you know, that's, that's one thing I know Lisa and Alex are about, the black movement. That's what we're all about, the black movement, uh, coming together and being united in what we do and all the efforts that we take. I know there was one time, and I'll end with this, one time a white man, this is a white man came and said, you know what's wrong with you black folks? You can talk about it, but you ain't being about it. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that really resonated in my ears. I, I said to myself, how dare he? How dare he come and say that? But then I sat and I sit back and I really thought about that matter. And I said, well, you know, come to think about it. There's a little bit of truth in that. Because it wrenches our hearts. It, it, it cuts to the very core and the fiber of our being that we need to be about it. Let the rubber hit the road, stop talking about it, and be about it. Dr. Quaco, he's, he's doing it down here in L.A. We're, we're, we're getting our artists together. So much is going on that we need to be about our community, about our people. 
And as we continue on, and, and it's a faith walk. I don't care what yes, y'all think about It's a faith walk. Yes, it is. So, and it's never about no religion. You can have all these sects and dogmas and creeds that you want. But as a relationship that you have, you can call him Allah, you can call him Jehovah, you can call him God Almighty. There is only one creator. And that is our belief. And we are going to continue with our movement, continue with these platforms. Chief, this has been a powerful show. Uh, but our shows, all our shows are powerful. We, we love our shows. We love all our shows. But Barbara and Rodney and, and Dr. Kwaku and, and Lorenzo Elvis Murphy on Mondays and with my shows as well and, and then up to these shows. Uh, as we move forward and bringing these issues to the platform, like we said, we're not only just an entertainment company, but we are a global movement reaching out to the masses. Okay? So I just want to thank you and everyone that's been on the show today because, man, we're moving Forward, united we stand. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, we're having (laughs) church here every Saturday morning at 10 a.m., I'm telling you. And so, my sister Jean, thank you very much. I know we went a little bit overboard today with our time, so please forgive us. But this has been a very exciting and very dynamic show. It's been a learning experience and the spirit of your conviction there at the end is the same feeling that I had last Saturday when you delivered the, the message there at the museum. And it's just the feeling um, that I got personally. And it kind of affected me throughout the rest of the weekend. And so, and everybody else, because I know everybody else here on the line too, and I know that it has taken an effect on them as well. But, you know, we're going to keep our eye on the prize, and our eye on the prize is our unity and our availability to work collectively together as a functioning unit here at T25CO Entertainment. And uh, like Dr. Kwaku said earlier, this is a global platform. We're reaching throughout the world, but we're starting right here in California and now with you in Oklahoma as well. And throughout all the states, you see, we had calls today from New York, New Jersey, and uh, and so we 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 reach out to everybody. But this has been a definite learning experience, and this show can be downloaded within about another hour or so. And so you can download the show; it comes out in MP3 format, and then you can email it out to your friends and family and church members, lodge brothers or whatever. And so this is how we get the message out. Let this message go viral, like those things on Facebook when they're around slapping each other in the head. Let this message go viral. And another thing, may I, may I reiterate right here, um, um, Chief, because we, as a family, this is what we do. And we know that your husband is going through, you know, um, um, these things, but we know we serve an awesome God. We serve a God of healing. And so we yes. want to lift up your husband in prayer. If you don't mind, what is his name? So we can lift him up in prayer. Edward Neal. Edward Neal. Yes, we will definitely lift him up in prayer. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So thank you, my sister, and thank you for taking out two hours and 20 minutes of your time on a Saturday, and especially with your husband ailing. And so we really appreciate it. 
And feel free to come on any of our shows. And if uh, with your works, you had mentioned in your writings to me that hey, you want to get involved with this too, you just let us know if you want to do it as well. If you have a film of music or a book or whatever that you want up on here, if you want your own talk show, you just let us know. And, and you can be you you can be a part of this family as well. Yeah. Well, I appreciate I appreciate the invitation and I appreciate being invited. So thank you. It was an honor meeting your family, and hopefully, I'll come to California one day. I've never been there. Feel free to come anytime, <laughs> whether it's L.A., Oakland, or wherever. So we're yeah. we're here. Just let us know when you want to come, and we'll welcome you with open arms. All right. Well, everyone be blessed and know God is in control of all. Y'all have a beautiful and a blessed weekend. All right. You too. And thank all you. Right. Thank you for everybody for taking out your time today. Hope all right. you have a nice Bye.